Hello, welcome to our podcast. The book that we're going to be talking about today for this episode is going to be Storm of Steel. There's a lot of interesting topics from that book. Yeah, I agree with that. For example, how do you think the people fighting in war feel about the opposing side? Well, through Junger's perspective towards his enemies, he proves that love and peace can coexist with the destructive nature of war. Really? How does that work? Well, I mean, war exists off the idea of hatred and disagreement, right? So it's understandable to have feelings of malice towards your enemies. Everyone would. But, however, people like Junger have different point of views, right? So Junger actually says that he respects a person for their pride and honor. So if an enemy goes all out and puts everything on the line, Junger would treat him not as an enemy, but as a friend who deserves the utter, uttermost respect. Yeah, that actually really shows the character of Junger and who he was as a person. Yeah, for instance, when Junger was face-to-face with a captive prisoner, something extraordinary happened. The prisoner reached into his pocket and pulled a picture out. The picture that he pulled out was of his family. This made the situation no longer between two enemies, but rather between two men of heart and soul. Junger thought to himself and came to the conclusion to let the prisoner out. As we can see, this truly and really shows that love is hidden within the smoke of death that is war. When you uh, describe the part where he pulled out the picture... That was really helpful for me because you can tell the enemy displayed vulnerability. That's really touching because even though they were in war, they both escaped the realm they were in and spoke to each other man-to-man, as you said, rather than enemies. Yep. And another topic that I'd like like to touch on is how nature somehow survives within all this destruction that is war. So what do you guys feel or how do you guys feel about nature within all of this? I definitely feel that when you're in war and you're fighting, you don't recognize that nature is still in the presence and amidst, <clears throat> amidst of all the fighting that's going on. I mean, it's still there. So uh-huh. that's, that's I, think, I, think. I think what it, uh, what's good about nature is that uh, it's like one of the positives, one of the only positives that soldiers can look through uh, is that they get to see the scenery, uh, which might be a positive because on the contrary, you know, they're putting their lives on the line and they get to see that's the only positive thing that they can do is look at the scenery. Yeah, it's a it's a good change of setting to because like Junger has gone. He stated how beautiful some places were, how he was going through a, a field of just like grass and it was, it was just beautiful. But then he also shows the downside of what war can do to nature, like war, like the bombs, the bullets, the shrapnel, shrapnel destruction is the only thing that follows. And full-on towns can get destroyed. So how does something like like uh, nature, something so delicate as nature, survive within something as destructive as that? But once you find and really get to know what nature can do, you learn that nothing is delicate about it. You learn that even even if it's a couple flowers surviving or it's a couple birds flying around or, or like Junger says, uh, there was a cat that was just going in between both sides of the trenches between the enemies. And that uh existing on itself that just having something other than war and malice and something like nature to kind of blend in between the two sides and kind of lower the tone down i find it really interesting and beautiful how uh, it survives in something like uh the the environment that Junger was in all right hello this is the start of the second episode and we have another topic to talk about
and that is how can war affect someone emotionally and physically? Well, if I can add on, if I can add on, um, I think it's because of the unrelenting anguish and death of war. Like, that exposure can, like, substantially transform one's, like, complexion and state of mind and leave long-lasting effects on the target. Uh, what specifically do you think causes that type of trauma that you described? I mean, yeah. Well, I think people who are familiar with the notorious suffering war recognize that it can hastily adjust the, the actions of what one has done normally. Like, for example, near the end of the war, when, when uh, Huger was traveling the, the land, like, full of corpses, he wasn't glued to the idea that he was stepping on dead people. He, like, he blocked us out. He blocked those ideas out and just wanted to achieve his objective that his commander asked of, asked of him. Yeah, well, I mean, when you're surrounded by something as horrific as death, it's best to just ignore it and move on. Yeah. Um, however, like, near the start of the novel, he witnessed a casualty and was, like, slightly traumatized. But between now and then, when he was uh, stepping on dead corpses, between now when he was, between then when he was, like, slightly traumatized, his thoughts transformed as deaths became more incessant and continued to, and as he continued to endure the war. His, like, his mentality and physicality were challenged because of the peril of war. As would anyone, I feel like. Yeah, to make it worse, he experienced the agony of war rooted through persistent shells, the long hours in the trenches, in the trenches, or the death brought to many of his fellow comrades. His reaction intensely shaped his identity as a survivor and a veteran. Uh, okay. Yeah, like, um, what do you think, Michael? Well, um, you know, I do agree that, uh, obviously you could see, um, how much of an effect it had on Younger, uh, during the war, but I just think that on everyone, uh, every soldier has some effect, more or less, because, you know, at the end of the day, they are all putting their life on the line protecting their country and their family. And if it's either like an emotional effect for them uh, or a physical effect, because they always have the either thought in mind of what they're fighting for, what could happen, or, um, you know, the possible uh, scars or uh, injuries that they might suffer just from war. So, I mean, it, it has like a complete life-changing effect on them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. Me too. All right. And for our next topic... I'm going to ask you, Michael, Michael, what, what does food mean to people in war? Like, what do soldiers experience and what, what are their thoughts on war? I mean, uh, on food. So uh, when soldiers are at war, um, I would say that food is actually like one of the most important aspects of them on the positive side of their experiences at war. Uh, because, um, I mean, in some scenarios, this is not for every scenario, but in some scenarios, uh, when at war, like, there's uh, consumption of food, like, time to eat food uh, is very scarce. It's, like, it's not something that's prioritized. What's prioritized is fighting the battle and fighting the war. Uh, and uh, when mm -hmm. they do get that rare opportunity to eat, it just feels like, you know, something that's just, like, unimaginable. Uh, that's, like, for us, it's a every, you know... It, everyday thing three times a day but for them it we just take it for a grant like uh something from the gods that's what i would how i would uh, describe it uh and then also um when like they're eating the food it's also a good time uh when uh the soldiers convene to like just dis have uh sentimental discussions that's usually when a lot of people have you know deep discussions is when they're eating food 
And uh, this is the only time that um, the soldiers really get to do that because by the uh, when they're it's the other time they're fighting uh, and there's no time to talk about uh, family and how they're feeling uh, when they're fighting. You guys know. So it's a yeah, it's a good bonding experience, and it helps uh, the soldiers kind of kind of get a better understanding of each other and and work better in war theoretically, mm-hmm. right? I also see yeah. it as like a lifeline for their mental health because. I mean, yeah. it's a known thing that uh, soldiers' mental health, uh, especially in uh, war, like the uh, the world world war that Younger had to experience, the mental health uh, in those soldiers is very poor. And uh, that's the only thing that I say that, you know, would give them some uh, good emotions throughout uh, that period. Yeah. yeah, like, food is like... When they're having like taking like a break like from their mind and they're like discussing with their other um, with their friends, you know, you know, you think about like food's like the one of the one of the only things that keeps them like sane, you know, from because they're having discussions, they're like keeping in contact with other people. So yeah, I agree with that totally. Yeah, I agree too. Okay, this is the beginning of our third episode of our podcast series. And we're going to be talking about some topics from our individual books. And the first topic is from the book of uh, The Sound and the Fury. It's a book I read, and I would like to talk about the, the impacts that money has on the Compson family. The, the Compson family spiraled downhill fast. And I think the reason of that was because of money and the influences money has on all the members of the family. For example, uh, Jason, Jason is very greedy and he steals money from uh, from Caddy, the money that Caddy sends over for her daughter, Quentin. But he's influenced and his greed is further gradient by by that money and money causes him to get even more greedy and it leads him deeper into his own hole that he's dug. And for no, another example is Quentin, the boy, Quentin, the brother, he uh, goes to Harvard University he has a lot on his shoulders, but the reason why he went to Harvard is because uh, the Compson family is a wealthy family. And um, with their wealth, they allowed him to go to whatever school he wanted. And Harvard University, him going to that school from an old town like his, it's, it's a lot of a lot of stress to hold on his shoulders. So all that money that his family put into him just gave him stress. And that stress, stress later led to his own suicide. Finally, Miss Quinton, so Caddy's daughter, she's influenced by money because uh, the money that uh, Jason is holding from her causes her to get riled up, and she eventually steals that money and runs off with it so with some random stranger. But all of these bad happenings and unfortunate events are all caused by money and influenced by it, further leading to my case how money can destroy a family and destroy a group of society. Would anyone like to add on? So, when talking about money, there's a saying that I, I like a lot. And it's uh, it's that uh, money is the greatest evil thing. And basically what that is, is that money can do you amazing things if you interpret it properly. There are families that interpret it as, you know, very thankful for what they have. And they're appreciative of how hard they worked. And then there are also the people that just have an everlasting greed. And especially when you're a child of someone who's born into a wealthy family, you're going to, you have that power ever since you were a kid. 
And you're just going to have that necessity that you need more power, especially as you grow up. And that greediness, that, that trait of greediness that you develop, it can just turn you into a completely different person, especially is if, you know, you're becoming starting to become more independent, like as of someone from Harvard. And yeah, I do see how that would make sense in the storyline of the book that it could collapse a family because the amount of power that people feel like they have and that they also need to have by gaining more monetary value is just, a, it's insane to think about. I agree with that statement. You worded that really well. <laughs> yeah, you did. All right. Is there another topic anyone would like to discuss? Um, yeah. Um, well, the book I read is about, um, like, it was about two, two, two women who um, had an effect on a man who just wanted to have a relationship with. And so someone named Archer already has a relationship with May, his uh, future fiance. And May and another and May's cousin Ellen, individual personalities differ heavily by so much that the main uh, character Archer chooses his fiance's cousin than his actual like fiance, and that's because Ellen brings out the best in Archer because of her like unique charisma. Like she plays a role in being the non traditional foreigner foreigner who evokes Archer's love for her. Like, but in contrast, May's his traditional fiance that follow that follows old New York society norms. He would much rather choose Ellen than May because of their antithetical personalities. And Ellen evokes his greatest qualities. While on the other hand, May's personality does not mesh with him as well as her cousin. Both of the women's upbringings in society influences how Archer perceives both of them. On one hand, May's the um, unconventional spouse that has little adversity to endure and adheres to the pathway that society has called for her. But differently, Ellen is a unique case in his point of view because of her unorthodox qualities, which influences love for her. Be because, of, because of Ellen's European upbringing, she has a unique charm that Archer does, just does not find in her fiancé, which makes her different. Yeah, I find, find it funny how much a foreigner can really shine in some place that they weren't born in. Like someone from, yeah, like Europe going to the U.S., they really shine out for all the, all the greatest reasons. And it can really, uh, really put someone in the dirt when, when, when you're compared and really shows how in society, people are always being judged and compared with one another. And I, I can feel for May as she's considered uh, bland and, and boring compared to Ellen. But it, it's just kind of how society is working nowadays when you compare everyone together and especially with a foreigner who's from your European descent. Yeah, I, I, I agree with that, especially that, you know, you say, how a foreigner can be so different and so unique in a sense. And actually just the uniqueness of that foreigner actually does bring me to my topic, which um, is also based on uniqueness and, uh, you know, difference of, I read um, The Wasteland, which was, uh, very, it's a very different uh, type of Norton critical book that we got to read compared to the guys, uh, the books you guys read. You guys read um, whole stories. I read a poem. Uh, my poem, but the thing about my poem is that this is a poem that I've never seen before. This poem was uh, written by an author. His name is T.S. Eliot. Um, and uh, it, it was amazing. Uh, what he, the, the title is called The Wasteland. 
And uh, that basically is what his message that he's trying to convey in um, the, the poem is. He divides the poem up into five different individual stories. And in those five different individual stories, it's like people showing their own um, stories of interactions they've had with the world. Um, I mean, just by the titles of these individual stories, you can tell just how brutal their stories are in relation to how the world is. I'm pretty sure some of the stories were titled The, Bur- the Burial of the Dead, um, Death by Water, The Fire Sermon, What the Thunder Said. And they all lead to, like, you know, how cruel and unusual and how waste, how much of a wasteland the world is. And uh, the, but the way that um, the author, how he constructs the uh, form of the poem is that he doesn't directly say, you know, how bad the earth is. It's just he has it like hidden within each story of like that same that all share the same message, which is that the earth is a wasteland. And that's what makes the po- my poem that I read just so amazing, extravagant. I mean, when I was writing about my poem, I mean, it was obviously a lot more difficult because there was not as many details and, uh, to write about. And the details that I was given were very vague. But that's also what uh, the vagueness of my poem was allowed me to be um, to basically uh, like get very deep into my poem as much as I could and that's what I loved about the poem is how um, unique and mysterious it was Um, honestly when yeah I I agree like um, authors like I agree with, with what you said and I also think that an author can talk about the same subjects and the, but like the same topic, but another author cannot like truly express like the topic as perfectly as, as another author did. Like it can, it can evoke a whole nother mood that um, this author produced. So that's what I thought. And yeah, Michael, you're, what you're saying about how just the author let it open and vague and allowed you to interpret anything you wanted from the little details it gave. I mean, that's a, that's a reoccurring theme with a lot of stuff, but it also allows for a lot of different interpretations and different ways to look at it, obviously. And I also find, uh, I, I also love the, the concept of just saying, just explaining how the earth uh, reflects on on what humans have done to it, calling it a wasteland. A wasteland can usually is referred to by, uh, it's something that humans have created. They've made it a wasteland by either destruction force or, or just putting stuff there. But I, I do like the reoccurring theme of, of saying how the earth is um, getting destroyed by us humans. And through what Junger has described through uh, uh, the storm of steel, it, it really correlate, correlates with uh, your book, with uh, Storm of Steel, is all I want to say. Yeah, I, I understand what you mean when you say how it correlates. And I do believe that, you know, it was just, it was just really interesting to read. Because I was told uh, when I chose The Wasteland that, you know, it was going to be difficult to uh, really go deep in, uh, in my interactions with the um, book, uh, with the poem. And I, I was up for the challenge. And I mean, I really liked what I got, the results I got. Yeah, okay. Well, that closes our podcast series. And I think we had a lot of fun doing it. Three episodes done. Um, And thanks for listening.
Thank you.